Let's begin now. Welcome, Star Wars nerds, fans, geeks, to another episode of AllTheStarWars.com. My name is Justin Berger. I am your podcaster, your host, and uh, we are at episode five, The Podcast Strikes Back. It's crazy. I can't believe I've been doing this for a, over a month now. Um, it's like I just started this kind of on a whim and just kept doing it, and here we are at episode five, and uh, it's it's fun. I'm liking it. Uh, if you're listening, I hope you're enjoying it as well. And uh, we're going to keep it going. Um, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, it, you know, it's funny how uh, the last podcast, I'm like, you know, we'll see what happens this week in Star Wars. And uh, there was there was nothing at the time um, as far as news wise. And then, of course, this past week, like every week, new stuff pops up for Star Wars, <laughs> some good, some bad. And uh, it's it's just interesting how. Uh, there's always something new to talk about, which is good for a podcast. But uh, um, some of these things that came out this week were not the the best things. I know a lot of Star Wars fans were kind of pissed off about a couple of these things. But uh, I'm going to get into it, and I'm not going to tease you much longer. But the very first thing I wanted to talk about was Kathleen Kennedy. Now, if you don't know who Kathleen Kennedy is, she is the president of Lucasfilm. She became the president of Lucasfilm in October of 2012 when George Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Disney. And he stepped down, obviously, as president of Lucasfilm and, uh, you know, gave away the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And uh, he actually appointed Kathleen Kennedy as the president of Lucasfilm. So that was his decision. Uh, he'd worked with uh, Kathleen Kennedy for years. I mean, they worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark together and on uh, many, many things. So she's she's been in the game a long time. Um, she started working with Spielberg back on E.T., and uh, she actually co-founded Amblin Entertainment with him and her husband, Frank Marshall. So, you know, she's worked with a lot of famous people. Um, like I said, she's been in the game a long time. Uh, she's worked with a lot of people in the business. She's worked with Spielberg, obviously, Lucas, Clint Eastwood, Martin Scorsese, Robert Zemeckis, Joe Dante, Frank Oz, David Fincher, I mean, she is definitely uh, a very well-known producer in Hollywood and now, like I said, president of Lucasfilm. And uh, her main focus has been Star Wars and the Star Wars movies that have come out. And she's really taken a lot of heat. Uh, a lot of people have blamed her for a lot of the problems with Star Well, pro what they see are problems with the new Star Wars. And, uh, you know, it's... I just don't, I just don't understand a lot of the hate towards her. Um, I think the problems with Star Wars lie at the feet of a lot of different people. Um, Star Wars is very much a group effort. There's a lot of people involved. Um, I think these problems that people feel are happening with Star Wars, myself included, you know, I feel like they they come from different sources and a lot of different people. But there's, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are, you know, making decisions and approving scripts and all that stuff and people are like well she hired the directors and you know she's the president and you know really it comes down to her and it's like not really you know she's the president but she had there are other people in departments that are department heads where it's their job to make decisions and it's you know she's not going to oversee every little detail of every movie that comes down the pike um she's very hands-on from what it looks like but that doesn't mean that she's making every single decision and it just feels like everybody's on her ass 
you know, about this and saying, oh, it's Star Wars sucks because of Kathleen Kennedy and she should be fired. And it's been this whole controversy. And the funny news <laughs> this week, I don't know if it's funny, but it's just interesting, is that she actually just uh, had her contract renewed with Disney uh, to be the head of Lucasfilm through 2021. So uh, basically the next three years, we're still going to have Kathleen Kennedy heading up Lucasfilm, which I know pissed off a lot of Star Wars fans. A lot of Star Wars fans really wanted to see her go. And uh, I think it's kind of funny, actually, after all the controversy and people were pissed off saying, oh, she's going to get fired. She's out of here. And then they come out today or not today, but this week. And they're like, guess what? Kathleen Kennedy's going to be around for another three years. And I know a lot of Star Wars fans just it really pissed them off. And I don't know. That amuses me for some reason. Um, I just never really had a huge problem with her. I mean, a lot of people did, but I didn't. Um, You know, as far as things that she's done, a lot of people are like, oh, she ruined Star Wars and she hired Ryan Johnson and she followed Colin Trevorrow and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, she made a lot of tough decisions and I think she made a lot of good decisions. They're not all good. Ryan Johnson was a train wreck, but, you know, you, you can't win them all. You know what I mean? And, you know, some of the good things she did do, I thought was, you know, when the solo movie was being made and it turned out that Phil Lord and Chris Miller were making a movie that was, you know, a lot more comedy based than, you know, we're used to in Star Wars. And when she heard about it, she fired him. She was like, this is not this is not where we want Star Wars to go. So I'm going to get rid of you and I'm going to basically bring in uh, Ron Howard to replace you. And that was her call. and That was her decision. I think it was a good decision. I think there's a lot of stuff from Lord Miller that you still see in Solo. Uh, some of the comedy, some of the over-the-topness that I think we're seeing just like remnants of what could have been, which I think would have been even... I'm not saying Solo was a disaster. I mean, it was, it's a pretty good movie, but a lot of people call it a disaster. But I think it would have been a disaster um, if they had been allowed to make the movie they wanted to make. And I guess they were doing a lot of improv, you know, not really following the script and just kind of going... You know, they did 21 Jump Street. I mean, these guys did the Lego movie. It's like their whole thing is comedy and over the top comedy. And it's just, you know, once she discovered that that's what was going on, she fired him. And I think she did, she was right to do it. And I think she was smart to do it. And, you know, she brought in Ron Howard. Ron Howard is someone who people will call a safe bet, but you know, he's a professional filmmaker. He's been in the game since he was a kid and he knows what he's doing and he knows how to make a good movie. And I thought he did a good job. You know, it could have been better, but, you know, he was brought in and had to reshoot most of the movie. So for what it was, you know, I I enjoy Solo. It's not the best Star Wars movie, but as I've said, it's far from the worst. So anyways, she did that. Um, She brought in Tony Gilroy to write new dialogue and direct additional scenes for Rogue One. uh, When Gareth Edwards cut looked like it wasn't really going to work. And from what I've read and from what I understand, you know, when he had originally uh, was putting the movie together, he had taken a bunch of clips from other movies and kind of did kind of a rough edit of, you know, kind of the way he wanted it to look. And I guess after they finished the script and they were getting ready for production, a lot of things had changed or things had to be changed. I can't remember exactly, but um, it just, by the time principal photography had wrapped, it just, from what I understand, what I've read that, you know, they weren't happy with it. So she brought in Tony Gilroy to uh, fix some things. And I think Rogue One is probably the best Star Wars movie since the original trilogy, in my opinion. It's it's the one that comes closest to the to the 
aesthetic and vibe of the original trilogy. I like it way better than the prequels. I like it better than any of the new movies. Um, to me, it's kind of a, it's a neck and neck um, with Return of the Jedi is like my third favorite Star Wars movie. I just, I really like it. I like the characters. I like the the way it connects to A New Hope. Um, there are things about it I don't like, but um, there's things about Return of the Jedi I don't like. So it's kind of, you know, depending on the day, um, sometimes I like Return of the Jedi more and sometimes I like Rogue One more. Anyways, uh, the point is, you know, she's made some tough calls um, and that's her job, you know, and, you know, people can bitch about it and say, oh, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing or whatever. And it's like, no, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's been doing this for decades. Um, she's a very good producer and, you know, it's, she may not be making the decisions ever, all the fans want, but you know, it's her job to, to make Disney money and to make Lucasfilm money. And she's been doing a great job at it. So I think people need to sit down and shut up. Um, it's frustrating when you hear all these people, you know, tell, saying things like, oh, fire Kathleen Kennedy. She's a horrible person. And they call her a feminazi and all this shit. And it's like, you know, the thing with Kathleen Kennedy is she has been an advocate of, of uh, putting women more prominent in movies for a long time. She's won awards for it. I mean, she has always been an advocate of that. And, you know, for people to bitch and complain about, oh, she's ruining Star Wars, and they talk about SJWs, social justice warriors, and all this crap, and it's like, yes, Kathleen Kennedy, you know, she's talked about her desire to make Star Wars more diversified, you know, by bringing in more females and minority characters, which I think is a good thing. I think it's great, and a lot of people don't like it. A lot of white guys don't like it. A lot of white males have a problem with it, and they say it's ruining Star Wars, and you know, I remember when, you know, the Force Awakens teaser came out and Finn pops up on the screen and it's a black guy in a stormtrooper outfit. And a lot of people had a problem with that. And not a lot of people, but there was a small group of people that basically, you know, were all up in arms about a black stormtrooper. And it's the first image we see. And, oh, you know, they're trying to change Star Wars and it's SJW pushed some agenda, blah, blah, blah. And it just, you know, those people are that need to go away. They're just ridiculous. And um, it's. I was actually thought it was very cool uh, for them to have the first thing you see from the new Star Wars movie be a black man in a stormtrooper outfit, um, just because it it shows how far we've come. I mean, in the original Star Wars, the only black guy was Lando Calrissian, and um, you know, it just to have one of the main characters be black, you know, is I think a good thing, and the other one's a female, so. You know, to any guys or anyone who has a problem with that, it's like, fuck off. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> welcome to the 21st century. You know what I mean? We're not going to sit here and just, you know, Star Wars isn't going to be just a bunch of white guys running around and a bunch of men running around telling people what to do. And, you know, it's just, there's this small minority of people who have a problem with that, with minorities and blacks and women being you know, in prominent roles in films and not just Star Wars, but any movies and, and in life really. <laughs> and it's just, it's sad. It's sad that we have to deal with these people, but it is what it is. So, I mean, Kathleen Kennedy has done a lot in her career to, you know, push women to the forefront in filmmaking and, you know, and characters and all that. And she's continuing to do that with Star Wars. And some people have a problem with that. And they think it has to do with, you know, like I said, they call it the SJWs, the social justice warrior mentality and, I just think this the stupidest stupidest thing. Whenever somebody brings that up, I just tune them out. I just it's ridiculous. Um, 
you know, we need diversity in movies. You know, it's like Star Wars should be a reflection of the world, you know, because Star Wars is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just something that white people like, you know, Star Wars is something that everybody likes. So why shouldn't you include black people and, you know, Asians and, you know, Latinos and everybody, you know, everybody should be in Star Wars. so Everybody can have, you know, a reflection of them and their culture. It's just, it's the world we live in and it's, you know, it's the way it should be because, you know, we're, I don't know. It's just, I get tired of these people who bitch about that stuff. And I, I applaud Kathleen Kennedy actually for doing that, for making an effort to include minorities and women. Um, I will say one of the things that's kind of contradictory to that though is every person she's hired to direct a Star Wars movie uh, since she became president has been a white man. Um, so that's really the only issue I have with that. And it has. It's like you have J.J. Abrams, you have Ryan Johnson, you have uh, Ron Howard, you've got John Favreau, you've got uh, Lord and Miller, and, and now the guys from Game of Thrones. It's like these are all white guys, white males. And it's like you talk about diversity and you know all this change that you want to do, but you keep hiring white guys to direct your movies, and it just kind of flies in the face of you know what you're saying that you want to do. Aside from that, though... Um, you know, she is pushing for, for more diversity, and I think that's a good thing. But, yeah, a lot of people are mad. They hate Kathleen Kennedy. They think she should be fired, and I don't. You know, I think people are just looking for someone to blame. They're looking for a place to put their anger and frustration, mostly because of The Last Jedi. I mean, that was really the divisive movie that pissed everybody off, myself included. And I don't think I ever really totally blamed Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, I think at one point I was angry. And I blamed her and Ryan Johnson and, you know, I, I needed a place to put that anger and I did, but you know, I've kind of gotten over that. Uh, I've kind of moved on. A lot of people haven't, a lot of people still hold this, this candle for, uh, for hating on the last Jedi and everything, which is fine. I mean, I still do. Obviously I talk about it how much I don't like it, but I just don't sit around hating it anymore <laughs> or anybody involved with it. You know, I just, I just don't care. It's like, I have better things to do than hate on a movie, but um, a lot of people are still holding that torch and Kathleen Kennedy is, is like, you know, public enemy number one for them. And I just think it's ridiculous, but I'm personally, I could care less either way. You know, I, I, I'm glad that she is going to be on for another three years. Um, you know, by Disney standards, she's doing a great job. I mean, she had three of the four movies that she produced and when it's president Lucasfilm for, I mean, made billions or not billions sorry but made millions of dollars i mean we're talking top grossing movies uh in the past what four or five years i mean just huge successes so of course disney's going to keep her on because she's doing a great job for them she's making them a ton of money and you know people can bitch all they want but the numbers don't lie you know i know solo didn't do as well but you know we don't have to get into that but there's a lot of reasons why solo might not have done so well and i don't think it falls on the feet of kathleen kennedy I think there's a lot of issues where it had to do, you know, with the director changeover and the writing and some other things. But, yeah. So Kathleen Kennedy's going to be on, guys. So get used to it. Um, but moving on, that was one piece of news this week that people were up in arms over, which I just I thought was ridiculous. Um, but there was something else that happened that actually pissed off a lot of people, myself included. And um, it has to do with all the stuff going on with Kavanaugh and, you know, the Supreme Court justice nomination and all that, which, you know, I don't want to get heavy into the pol political side of it. But basically, 
uh, Rachel Butera, who does the voice of Princess Leia in the new Star Wars um, Resistance cartoon. She plays like the older Leia. She does the voice of that character. And um, so she's a voiceover actress. And so she does. She went on her Twitter account this week and she does an impression of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and kind of mocked her and made fun of her. And a lot of people fucking backlashed against her for that and really pissed, it really pissed people off and rightfully so. Um, so she ended up removing the video. She apologized for it. And then she put her Twitter account to private. And if you go there now, it's completely gone. So it's been removed. I don't know if that was her, if that was Disney or somebody just told her like, Hey, you need to just get off Twitter. But, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually play you the audio because a lot of people saved that video before she deleted it. And so I have the audio. I'm going to play it. And then I'm going to play audio of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford so you can kind of hear the difference. Hear, you know, what she's mocking, which I don't think it's fair of her to mock her for this reason. Um, but anyways, I'll let you be the judge. But I, I think I think it was a horrible idea to do what she did and in the mocking of the voice and you know, she said, oh, it's just a joke and blah, I'm just, I'm a voiceover actress and I imitate people and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, if you listen to it, it doesn't come across that way. It really comes across as insulting and demeaning for a woman who is like spilling her guts in front of the world and being attacked for it. And this, you know, for this woman, Rachel Butera to mock her is just insensitive and it's just fucked up. So anyways, I'm going to play the audio. So first you'll hear Rachel Butera impersonating Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And then you'll hear the actual Dr. Christine Blasey Ford from her testimony. Uh, when she testified before, I don't know if it was testifying, but before she talked to uh, the Supreme Court, uh, ju- ju- I think it's the ju- Judiciary Committee is what they are. I'm not really sure. But anyways, uh, here's the audio. I don't know if anybody is listening to the Dr. Blasey Ford testimony about Brett Kavanaugh, but this is how I sound. I know it's a surprise to even me that I talk this way and I'm a doctor and a grown woman. I sound like I'm still back at that high school party. Um. I can't help it. I just have this kind of a voice, uh, like a baby, even though I'm a doctor and I'm on this media circus political stage and I have kids myself that I don't know why I speak with vocal fry. Um, But you can listen to my testimony and hear that. A grown woman sounds this way. Dr. Blasey Ford, thank you. Uh, Thank you, uh, Chairman Grassley and Ranking Member Feinstein, members of the committee. My name is Christine Blasey Ford. I am a professor of psychology at Palo Alto University and a research psychologist at the Stanford University School of Medicine. I won't detail my educational background since it has already been summarized. I have been married to Russell Ford since 2002, and we have two children. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. 
So, yeah, I mean, like I said, the first part was obviously the mocking, and the second part was the actual woman. You know, and she's making fun of the way she talks, and she says, oh, she still talks like, you know, she's a little girl or whatever, but it's like, you know, first of all, the woman is extremely nervous. You know, she's up in front of all these people, you know, in front of cameras and everything, and it's just, you know, I'm sure she's been under a lot of stress or her voice is strained, and it's just, it's just really insensitive and really fucked up that she did that. So a lot of people are asking Disney to fire her. And to replace her and like redo her voice actually on on the the resistance which starts October seventh so I don't think they have time to do that but a lot of people are demanding that they fire her a lot of people are like I'm not going to watch this now because of her unless you replace her and it's disrespectful to Carrie Fisher and because Carrie Fisher was a huge advocate of you know women's rights and everything which you know is is all very valid but um, I don't know it's hard to say it's like. Is it really worth not watching a series that many, many people contributed to just because of one bad apple, one asshole, one horrible person who's in it? It's like she's probably hardly in it at all anyway. I don't think they're going to have Leia be a main character or anything. She's probably going to be very minor, being just a couple episodes, and uh, that's it. So it's like it's not worth boycotting and saying I'm not going to watch the show when you know there's so many other people involved. And It actually looks like a good show. Um, which leads me into my next, you know, topic, I guess, was um, there was a clip that they showed um, kind of introducing characters and stuff. And, you know, I'm I'm actually starting to like the show a lot more than I thought I would just from what I've seen. So I'm probably going to check it out and watch the first episode. And if I like it, I'll keep watching. And if I don't, I won't. But at first I was a little like, yeah, this doesn't feel like Star Wars. But the more I see it, it actually it, it does have kind of a Star Wars vibe to it. And um, yeah, it's easy for trailers to misconstrue sometimes the ways, you know, shows actually or shows and movies actually are. And I think that's what was happening until I saw the extended trailer, which kind of, you know, showed me more of what's going on. And it kind of reminds me of Rebels in a way, but which I really like that show. So I'm going to check out Star Wars Resistance. I'll let you guys know what I think and give my review on it when I watch the first episode. Like I said, it comes out October 7th. So. Um, soon after I'll be giving a review and let you guys know what I think of it and if it's worth watching. And uh, if you watch it and want to tell me what you think of it, you know, just hit me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and let's have a conversation about it. So anyways, uh, the next topic, speaking of Star Wars TV shows, is the live-action Star Wars show directed by Jon Favreau. Um, they're actually going to start filming next week. And there were some leaked pictures of Jon Favreau on the set, and everybody's all going ape shit about it and i was just was like oh that's cool it wasn't that really that big of a deal i mean it showed some sets which is good they use a lot of like you know built sets and not a lot of cgi um like they like lucas did with the prequels you know i didn't see a lot of green screen hanging around and stuff which is great but um it's going to be taking place seven years after return of the jedi and the rumor is that it focuses on the mandalorians and since you know the the I guess the official news is that two of the planets that are going to be going to be featured are Tatooine and Mandalore. That makes a lot of sense. So it'll be interesting to see that show. I'm really actually excited to see what that show is all about and how they pull off a, a weekly Star Wars TV series, which they've never really done before. I mean, they've done it with cartoons, but not live action. So um, and this a live action Star Wars show has really been in the works for a long time. Lucas was going to do one a long time ago and that never came to be. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that actually come to life. I'm excited about it. 
I really like John Favreau, and I think he does some good stuff. So that's kind of what's going on in Star Wars this week. Um, it's not a ton of information, but it is, you know, interesting. And like I said, it's a little aggravating for some fans. But, uh, you know, I, I I think it's, by and large, the Kathleen Kennedy thing is a good thing. Um, I think, you know, with... Uh, you've got Bob Iger coming out recently saying, you know, it was my decision to put all these Star Wars movies out and I take the blame and it's caused Star Wars fatigue, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, and I talked about this before, but, you know, it's, I don't think, I don't think the problem was Star Wars fatigue as much. It was just, you know, I mean, I think they might've rushed them and that was part of the problem. You know, they're rushing these films out and they didn't give enough time to really write really good stories and, you know, it, it's hard to say, though, because, I mean, you've got uh, John Kasdan, who was one of the writers on Solo, saying, yeah, we've been working on this before Rogue One. You know what I mean? Which is, like, crazy to think about. Like, that movie has been in production that fucking long and that they still couldn't get it better than it was. So, I don't know. We'll see. You know, there's been rumors about a Kenobi movie coming out and, you know, all this other shit. So, I think they're going to slow down on that kind of stuff and just focus on finishing up with episode nine, do this live action TV series. And then who knows? I think it's kind of wide open and they're going to probably kind of gauge how fans are reacting to everything and then make their decision of what direction they want to go in with everything, which I think is smart at this point. Um, nobody really wanted a solo movie until they saw it. And then they were like, Oh, it's actually pretty cool. And it was, like I said, it wasn't the best movie, but I think, uh, the thing with a Kenobi movie is like, yeah, it would be cool to see Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But the problem, I think, is that he's on Tatooine and it's like, <laughs> it's going to be a boring fucking movie. I mean, if he's just stuck on Tatooine, you know, looking after Luke and it's like, how much action could there be happening on Tatooine? I mean, it's just, it's a backwater planet. There's nothing going on there. Like, is he fighting Tusken Raiders and you know, like watering his garden, like <laughs> it's just don't see a lot of stuff going on there. It's like he would literally have to leave the planet, I think, for it to be a compelling movie, which which I think would be cool. And I think it's something that he could do, um, which is actually uh, it's it's interesting because a friend of mine that uh, I was working on a project with, he wanted to make a TV series called the Kenobi Chronicles. And uh, I joined up with him. And we were, we did a, a teaser, which you can find on YouTube. It's called the Kenobi Chronicles. And I was producer on it. And um, it was basically, he wanted to do a web series about Ben Kenobi uh, after episode three and before episode four, where he kind of like, it's the dark times. And Kenobi actually goes out and rescues, you know, Jedi who have escaped Order 66. And he goes on. You know, some adventures, he like leaves Luke and um, it was it was a really cool concept and a really cool idea. Unfortunately, we just weren't able to pull it together, you know, with crowdfunding and whatnot. But we were at Celebration 7 and we were handing out business cards and, you know, flyers and telling people to watch the watch the teaser. And people did watch it and people liked it. But, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. And it's really hard to do something like the Star Wars, you know, on a low budget or a no budget, you know, and it was just... You know, we had a plan in place and we were going to do a lot of cool things with it. But And I still think it's a great idea. And I think he had a lot of really awesome concepts for the series. 
And, you know, he's talked about making it a comic book, which I think could be very cool. So, anyways, I hope to uh, see that come to fruition at some point. It may and it may not. Who knows? But it was it was a lot of fun to film it. I got to tell you, it was really fun to film the teaser we did. You know, we got the 501st to come in, and we got some people to be stormtroopers from the 501st. We got a Vader in there, and uh, we did some scenes. This opening shot with uh, the concept was that basically the Empire is going around. Vader's hunting down and destroying Jedi. So there's a, a, a ransom for Jedi and reward. So basically across the galaxy, they're saying, you know, if you turn in Jedi, we're going to give you money. And then there's this a scene that we were filming and I don't know if it came across exactly the way we had envisioned it, but the concept was that these people had turned in a Jedi, the stormtroopers had killed them. And then you see the people getting, you know, all this money. And then these two lightsabers are handed over to the stormtroopers. And then one stormtrooper takes them over to Vader. And then you see Vader add him to his lightsaber collection. And he's like collecting lightsabers of all these fallen Jedi. And it's, it was a cool concept, and, you know, like I said, go watch it on YouTube. Anyways, uh, moving on. One of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, I I was watching Star Wars the other night, the original, and there's the scene where they escape from the Death Star, and they're in the Millennium Falcon. And um, you basically they let them escape, you know, and, and as the Millennium Falcon finishes off the, the pursuing TIE Fighters, you know, you see Tarkin and Vader and, you know, the whole dialogue of, you know, are they away? And Vader's like, they've just made the jump into hyperspace. And then Tarkin is like, are you sure the homing beacon aboard their ship is secure? And um, you cut to a scene of Han and Leia in the cockpit and they're talking. And, you know, he's like being cocky, like, oh, not a bad bit of rescue and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, it was too easy. She's like, they let us go. You know, and they're tracking us. And, you know, the whole concept is that they just went into hyperspace. They're being tracked by the Empire through a home and beacon, of course. But, you know, and then I was thinking, well, that's weird because in The Last Jedi, when, you know, they jump to light speed and then they stop and, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden the First Order shows up and they're like, Leia says, oh, they tracked us through light speed, you know. And then Finn's like, that's impossible. And she's like, yes, it is, but they've done it. And it's like, why are you so shocked by this? Like, you know, you've been tracked through hyperspace, through light speed. You know what I mean? In the original Star Wars, like, you're the one who said they're tracking us. So it's like, it's weird to me that, <laughs> I mean, it's just more of Ryan Johnson's movie and him not paying attention to the original trilogy and whatever. It's just a continuity issue. But it, it was just, it was kind of, I'd never really thought of it or noticed it before, but just rewatching that scene, I was just like, oh shit. Like, you know, that kind of contradicts everything. Like what, why would Leia assume that that's what's going on? Like the first thought she should have is like, we have a spy on board who's put a homing beacon on our ship, you know, because it's not impossible to track somebody through light speed. Cause obviously they did it in the first star Wars and Leia knew about it. She knew that they were being tracked. I mean, you know, and they made the jump into hyperspace to go to, you know, uh, the moon of Yavin and to the rebel base. So it's like for her to just sit there and say, yeah, to, or to agree that, yeah, it's impossible, but they've done it. It's just, it's absurd because it's like, obviously you know that they can track people through hyperspace and you know how they can do it. So your first thought should be, you know, 
what's you know how did they do how did they get a homing beacon aboard the ship is there a spy you know what's going on and she talks about this binary beacon that her and ray share that you know so ray can find the fleet uh when she's done with luke or whatever and it's like you know maybe somebody hacked the binary beacon and they're following the signal you know none of these thoughts creep up the first thing that creeps up is like oh my god this is impossible to do how have they done this and then at no time does anybody say anything about homing beacon a homing beacon and then at, on top of that this is new technology you know the first order is tracking them and it's brand new technology that nobody's even know exists you know this is like the first time it's ever been used yet finn and rose come up with some half-cocked theory that oh this is how they're tracking us and this is the way it's done blah blah, blah. and it just it just rewatching that it just made me realize how absurd the last jedi is and just just the lack of attention to detail that ryan johnson did in some places i know a lot of people are like oh there's there's a lot of attention to detail and you know he really you know references a lot of old star wars and blah 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 and i'm just like yeah but there's a lot of stuff he just dropped the ball on and that's one of the things that i realized he really dropped the ball on was just that little scene and it just i don't know to me it just it's like it's a glaring continuity error and uh I just thought I'd point it out because it kind of bugged me. <laughs> and um, I actually brought it up on Facebook. I'm in a group called I Grew Up Star Wars, which I highly suggest you check it out. It's a, it's a great group. It's from the website, IGrewUpStarWars.com, where um, it's basically a, a, a website and a Facebook group where people, um, on the website, you send in your pictures. It's ran by a guy named Tom Burgess, who I actually interviewed. You can go back and find his interview on the website, allthestarwars.com. And uh, he created this thing years ago where people send in photos of them as kids um, or teenagers or whatever, but just growing up Star Wars, you know, when they were younger. And that's kind of the basis of the whole site is, you know, people growing up Star Wars. It's called I Grew Up Star Wars. And, uh, you know, I found it a couple of years ago and it's a great site. It's a lot of people, a lot of fans and a lot of people who just love Star Wars and you know, I posted this in there and there was a lot of debate back and forth and people were defending the last Jedi and people were agreeing with me and saying, Oh, that's, you know, that's stupid continuity error. And other people were like, yeah, I noticed that too. And you know, it was a healthy, lively debate, but, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was, it's just a nitpicky thing. You know, I, at the end of the day, I don't really care. It doesn't, it's not like I'm going to lose sleep over it, but it was just something I noticed. And, you know, it was a, a star Wars nerd moment that I wanted to share and I shared with other Star Wars nerds and it was interesting to get the feedback and some people were saying well one was a homing beacon and the other one wasn't it's like it's like I understand that aspect of it I understand that they planted a homing beacon on the Millennium Falcon and that's how they found them but the concept to me is that Leia understands that they can be tracked you know by a homing beacon so her first thought shouldn't have been that's impossible it should have been how did somebody get a homing beacon on my fucking ship? But obviously that's not what happened. Anyways, so that was a fun little uh, exercise on on the I Grew Up Star Wars Facebook group where I just kind of, I mean, I had a lot of responses on there and a lot of people were discussing and talking about it. It was fun. It was It's it's cool to get a good conversation going uh, with fellow Star Wars nerds. But um, anyways, I'm, I'm actually going to play you the audio from The Last Jedi and then from A New Hope so you can see what I'm talking about and you can hear for yourself you know, what I saw is the discrepancy. So here's the audio from that. Check it out. That's Snoke's ship. You've got to be kidding me. Can we jump to light speed? We have enough fuel resources for just one jump. Well, then do it. we got to get out of here. Wait. 
They've tracked us through Lightspeed. That's impossible. Yes. And they've done it. Are they away? They've just made the jump into hyperspace. You're sure the homing beacon is secure aboard their ship? Not a bad bit of rescue, huh? You know, sometimes I amaze even myself. That doesn't sound too hard. They let us go. It's the only explanation for the ease of our escape. Easy? You call that easy? They're tracking us. So that was the audio from The Last Jedi first, and then obviously A New Hope after. And you can kind of hear Leia and, you know, her first thing about, you know, yes, they've tracked us through light speed. And, you know, Finn's like, that's impossible. And she's like, yes, but they've done it. And then in A New Hope, obviously, you have her literally say to Han, they're tracking us, you know, and and Tarkin's or Vader's already said, you know, they've just made the jump into hyperspace. So obviously they can track them through light speed. And some people in, in the Facebook group were like, well, they probably tracked them when they came out of light speed and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But they can still track them through light speed. You know, when they come out of light speed, they can still track where they're going. And um, it, it's no different than when they just jumped from the First Order. And then they jumped, and then a couple you know, minutes later, the First Order shows up. It's no different. It's just the concept is why wouldn't she assume that there was a, a homing beacon on her ship like it was in A New Hope? You know, it's just it just bugged me because it was inconsistence or because it was an inconsistency and it just I don't know shit like that irritates me. It's like do your homework, Ryan Johnson. Do your fucking homework. You know, it's like if you're gonna write a movie and you're gonna reference stuff that's been used in the past, at least know what you're talking about and make it fit. You know, because it just I guess you could chalk it up to Leia's old and she just forgot. <laughs> if you want to go that route, you know, she's senile, but. I don't think that's valid. You know, she's a fucking general. She's obviously has her wits about her. But um, anyways, it's just like I said, it's nothing I'm going to lose sleep over. It was just something interesting I wanted to share with fellow Star Wars nerds. And uh, if you guys want to comment on it, feel free to comment on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Twitter is underscore all the Star Wars and Facebook is Facebook.com backslash all the Star Wars. And um, you can also find the links on the website, all the Star Wars dot com. The last thing I wanted to bring up before I get out of here is obviously Gary Kurtz, uh, who passed away last week. And uh, that was a really, that was kind of fucked up to hear. Um, I remember waking up and I saw somebody else post something about it um, on Instagram. And somebody was like, rest in peace, Gary Kurtz. And I was just like, oh, I was like, no. Like, I seriously, it really bothered me because I, Love Gary Kurtz. He's you know he's a producer. If you don't know, he produced the original Star Wars. He produced The Empire Strikes Back. He produced The Dark Crystal. Um, the first time he worked with Lucas was on American Graffiti. So you know he and he's done a lot of other stuff too. But those are the most notable, I think for for this crowd, I guess you would say those are his most notable films. And um, he was a really big part of the original Star Wars. You know he wasn't part of Return of the Jedi because him and Lucas parted ways after Empire. But, you know, he was he was a lot of what made the original Star Wars and Empire what they were. You know, he was very hands-on. You know, he directed some stuff in Empire. Um, he had actually, I watched an interview with him, and he mentioned, um, like, he directed the scene where Luke is in the Wampa Cave. Uh, Gary Kurtz directed those scenes. And he also talked about he directed the insert shot where they slice open the belly of the Tauntaun, and he said, if you... 
look closely, that's my hand holding the lightsaber, which I thought was kind of cool. I didn't know that, but it's cool to get that kind of information. But like he did the Dark Crystal, I mean, which is just a phenomenal movie. I mean, obviously Empire and Star Wars are as well, but you know, the Dark Crystal is just an amazing piece of work, and you know, he he helped bring that to life and. You know, the stuff he did on Empire especially was him and Irvin Kirshner were like the heart and soul and brain of that movie. Um, You know, I've talked about this before, but Lucas was kind of like, you know, he executive produced it. And he was kind of in L.A. working on visual effects while Kirshner and Kurtz were making the movie in England. And, um, yeah, it was like. Lucas was getting pissed because they were spending a bunch of money and they were going over budget. But, you know, it was just because Irvin Kirshner was very specific about the type of movie he wanted to make. And it wasn't necessarily the type of movie George Lucas wanted. But Gary Kurtz was like, look, we're getting really good stuff here. This is a really good movie. You just need to let him do his thing. And he was totally on the side of Irvin Kirshner. And that's what pissed George Lucas off and why he didn't want him around for Return of the Jedi. Um, because he spent a lot of money. He spent a lot of Lucas's money on that movie um, going way over budget. Even though that movie is now regarded as like the best Star Wars movie of all time. Um, at the time, you know, Lucas was worried like, you know, this is all my money. This is all the money I own in the world because he had to finance it himself and then get bank loans. And he's like, if this movie's not successful, I'm fucked. So I understand he was, you know, a little frustrated and wanted things to be done his way. But at the end of the day, you know, he has to realize that that movie came out the best it could have, you know. And I don't think that movie would have came out the same way if George Lucas had directed it or was more hands on with it. Um he obviously, you know, he wrote most of it. He wrote the first early drafts um, after Lee Brackett died. But, you know, it's it's by and large that is Irvin Kirshner, Gary, Gary Kurtz's movie. You know, those guys were there. Those guys were in the trenches. They really put that movie together and made it what it is. So, you know, when I heard about him dying, it was just like, you know, I obviously didn't know him personally, but it's just one of those things where a celebrity dies and somebody that you've really kind of looked up to or just kind of felt an affinity for, you know, it affects you. And I was, it was that way with Gary Kurtz for me. It was just like, you know, it was, it was just, it hurt, you know, it kind of hurt. And I was just like, fuck, cause you really, it, it just really makes you realize, you know, how short life is, you know? I mean, he lived, um, to be 78 and he died of cancer. Unfortunately, um, I guess he'd been battling cancer a long time and it finally got the better of him. And, um, but, you know, you'd see interviews with him, not even, like even within the last couple of years, and he seemed to be in good spirits. And, you know, he seemed, you know, I I, I wouldn't have guessed he had cancer or anything, but, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. So, yeah, rest in peace, Gary Kurtz. It's just, it's it sucks, man. It really sucks. He uh, he definitely, to me, was like, one of the the main reasons why Star Wars was good in the first place, you know. I mean, yeah, of course, George Lucas, you got to give him tons of credit, but Gary Kurtz really did a lot, you know. It's just if you go back and look at interviews and 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 just really investigate and see what he did on those movies, you'll realize that you know it was it was probably fifty fifty Lucas and Kurtz for the original Star Wars, and I think for Empire it was fifty fifty. Well, actually, it was more like probably 40-40 forty, 
uh, Kurtz and Kirshner and then 20 Lucas. And then Lucas really just did all the editing at the end. And um, if you read the book, The Secret History of Star Wars, which is a really great book and gets into a lot of this and, you know, talks about interviews and, you know, really captures a lot of the facts of what went down at the time. And he talks about, you know, how Lucas was just furious that, you know, they had the gall to to do what they did about spending more money and um, just kind of, you know, keeping him out of the loop, so to speak, because he was he was in L.A. and they were in in uh, London. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a great movie. Empire Strikes Back is seriously my favorite movie of all time. I think it's an amazing movie. And the same with The Dark Crystal. You know, he worked on that and he just, the guy, you know, he just knew pro- good projects, I think. He just knew how to turn stuff into gold. You know, he was a very good producer. And I think George Lucas would still tell you to this day that he was a great producer. Um, they may have butted heads, but at the end of the day, you can't deny that he did a really good job and made some great movies. Yeah, so I just, you know, condolences to Gary Kurtz's family. And, um, you know, it's a sad day in Star Wars when somebody, when anybody dies, but somebody, you know, that prominent in the Star Wars history books, I guess you would say, is, you know, it's 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 a hard pill to swallow. You know, it's a that's a heavy loss to take. And, um, yeah, man. Uh, so I'm going to leave you guys with a little bit of a clip of an interview with Gary Kurtz. And, um, this was from 19, I believe it was 1977. It might be 78. I'll have to double check, but, um, it was right after star Wars came out and it's actually an interview with him and his wife and, um, they're his daughter, Actually, two of his daughters actually played Jawas in the original Star Wars movie. And in this interview, um, his daughter actually shows up on set. I'm not going to play that audio, but his daughter showed up on the talk show and dressed as a Jawa. First, they interview her, and then she shows up as a Jawa and everything. It was really cool. But, um, yeah, and, you know, his wife was involved in putting together a Star Wars concert and you know around that time and it was just they were it was a family affair you know it just it seemed like you know they were all very involved and very passionate about the projects they worked on and yeah it's it's a cool interview i'm going to play a little snippet of it um i'll go ahead and post it up you can find it on uh as i've actually posted it on my facebook page i'll put it on twitter and all that so check it out but here's a clip of gary kurtz from 1977 i believe uh, talking about Star Wars. There have been so many uh, spin-offs and, as a result of Star Wars that uh, I guess uh, every week we show some new product. It started off with T-shirts and belt buckles and what we had Star Wars wallpaper on a couple of weeks ago. What you said originated in, in England. In yes. England. Okay, what can we look for next? Uh, well, Kenner has uh, a lot of really nice material coming out next year that we just saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have those little figures and the little yes. X-Wing fighters and things. Well, they have uh, a Death Star module and uh, the Millennium Falcon spaceship and a lot more set pieces to put those little figures in. They really look nice. That's, of course, one of the most fun things about making a film like this mm-hmm. is playing well, with the toys. When you and George Lucas first started to work on this and then as you got into it and the movie came out, did you ever realize that the, the whole world would be Star Wars uh, crazy after uh, a very short period of time? 
No, actually, we were a little apprehensive as we got toward the end because we had gone a little over budget and spent about a million dollars more than we thought we were going to, and were worried that we were going to make our money back. I mean, mm -hmm. We weren't quite sure at what point the film might break through the science fiction audience into the general audience. We knew that had to happen to to do better than right. the $25 million that 2001 How long did you th think it would take? Well, I thought it would take a long time. I thought it would take some word of mouth because it's yeah. a very hard film to advertise. And actually, uh, it took 14 minutes. <laughs> World's record. Well, the first couple of weeks we knew would be the science fiction real fans right. because they already knew about it. So after two weeks, when the lines were still there, we realized that it had the potential of doing better than we thought. Mm -hmm. Is there any pressure now with the sequel at all that you feel like you have to do something bigger and better? Well, there is a certain amount of pressure, but I didn't want to go that route. They try to the one-upsmanship way of making uh, a sequel. It's just another adventure, a slightly different story, using all the same characters, but the effects and things are in, off in a different direction. So I think it'll be as interesting, but in its own way, a completely different movie. Mm -hmm. And it, I read somewhere where uh, that you and George had hoped that this would be like a James Bond type thing where you could come out every few years with it. Well, before we even started shooting on the first one, we realized that the characters were really interesting. We really liked them. We sort of came to love all the characters in it. And we said it would be great if we could do a series of films that showed, showed the development of the characters and their relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. And of course, that really is based on the economics of the business. If the second film does well enough, then we're able to make a third one, maybe a fourth one. We'll see how it goes from there. Take care, my friends, and may the Force be with you.